What's up guys, welcome to another episode of the Dream Chasing 101 podcast. Today we're going to be chatting about a rather interesting topic, uh, especially for myself. We're going to be diving into the world of forensic science. And with us today we have Bronwyn. So Bronwyn, can you you know, introduce yourself and tell the people what you do? Sure, thanks Shannon and thanks for inviting me on the show. I'm looking forward to discussing this hopefully interesting topic with you and your listeners. Um, As introduced, my name is Bronwyn Davies and I'm a forensic toxicologist, actually. So I run the forensic toxicology unit um, at the Division of of Forensic Medicine and Toxicology uh, at the University of Cape Town. Um, And we are basically a service research and teaching lab, um, primarily uh, specializing in forensic toxicology, which I'm sure we will you know, delve into and pick apart. Um, so yeah, I look forward to to talking about forensic science, uh, particularly within the, the context of South Africa with you and your audience today. Cool. And obviously, this is a question you said you're looking forward to answering. So um, before all of this happened, and you were growing up and you were looking at, you know, possible future um, careers, what were you thinking, you know, or what did you envision yourself doing when you were growing up? Uh, fantastic question. I uh, in fact, thought about this and, and when I was in, in grade 10, actually, um, we had a project where we had to write about what we wanted to be when we grew up. And I remember that I wrote about uh, wanting to be a, a special agent in the FBI, actually. Um, so that was one of my interests. And I, I actually recall my, my teacher at that stage saying to me, oh, that's never going to happen. That's impossible. Um, and that only, I think only, uh, you know, created more drive to get into the field that I'm in now. So um, I've always been fascinated with forensic science. And I think that, you know, there is a, a large component in, in how we have grown up within this generation. Uh, we speak about in forensic science, the CSI effect. Um, and basically that's, that's actually a real effect whereby the, the movies and the TV uh, shows that we've seen that you know, have these uh, crime scene investigation kind of aspects to them. They do create this uh, idea in our minds about what CSI is and what forensic science is. Um, and while I, I can say from being in the field, there are aspects that are that are true to it. Um, it is it is something that is popularized, let's say, forensic science, definitely in the last uh, year, a few years or so. Um, so I've always been fascinated about with with forensic science, and and I can attest to that. If you go into my house, my bookshelf is is filled with uh, books of of uh, you know crime scene investigation and forensic pathology, and um, so it's always been something that I've been fascinated in. And uh, when I actually ended up leaving school, um, at that time there was no forensic science related uh, degrees in in the country. So what I what I did is I kind of did what most uh, science uh, interest interested students do is that they they kind of do a general science degree um, and I did that at the University of Cape Town and I specialized in in chemistry and physiology and I went on to do my honors in chemistry uh, at the University of Cape Town as well and at that stage uh, I was kind of trying to figure out how am I going to get into this this forensic science field and study further um, and so what I did is I actually applied for a Fulbright scholarship um, and that that's a scholarship that uh, can get someone uh, to do a master's or a PhD degree in the States 
and and that's where it kind of took off so i i was lucky enough to have the opportunity to to go do my masters uh, in in the united states and that's really where i got into um the more theoretical and an actual practical background in forensic science um, and since then as i'm sure we'll discuss later on we actually have a number of programs in South Africa now, both undergraduate and postgraduate, uh, that that interested forensic science students can actually now get into. Um, so that's how it kind of took off, and and how I, I managed to maneuver myself into to the field. Um, yeah. And with your, you studied a BSc in chemistry and physiology, as you said. Did you have the the idea in mind of you know forensic? Um, science as like the the potential like that's where i want to go was that in your head from the get-go definitely i think that was always my goal and that was always my passion is is within forensics and and forensics simply means you know the application to the law so forensic science is just applying you know science to the law um i never really wanted to get into medicine um there there are you know forensic pathologists who i work very closely with now um, who are medical doctors who who um, you know support the 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 death investigation process in conducting autopsies? Um, I never was interested in getting into uh, the medical field, so to speak. I was more interested in the science side of things, um, and and so definitely I, I was always passionate about getting into forensic science. Absolutely. And coming back to the the CSI effect. Did that, or how much of a role did, you know, the shows that you watched and which shows did you watch? You know, there's a quite a big variety now, especially um, over the last 10 years. I think that's kind of been a growing um, sector in the Hollywood uh, genre, I should say. Um, how much of a role did that play? And if you can kind of just talk about which shows kind of pushed you into this this field. Um, so I, I think unconsciously uh, it, it played probably a larger role than I realized. I only actually, you know, f following getting into the field and, and, and truly understanding how the CSI effect can play a role, um, uh, did I realize how much it, it probably did affect my, my interest. But I, I think I was always the CSI person. So I loved CSI. I loved the original um, uh, CSI show. And I know it you know, kind of spanned it into Miami and all the other kind of shows. Um, but I think CSI was always my my go-to and I, I absolutely loved that show. I had the computer games, uh, you know, I, ha I had it all. Um, I Subsequently, you know, I, I love shows like uh, Bones and things like that. But um, to be honest with you, once you get into the field, you almost stop watching those shows because uh, <laughs> you start to see that there are some inaccuracies in, in how some of the science is portrayed. And um, so it's not really as realistic as, as it is in the field, but it certainly, I think, did uh, enhance my passion for the, the, the subject, yeah. Yeah, I've actually, they've been rerunning the, the Bones series on Universal, so we've been watching it quite a bit. Um, and it, it makes it fun, so I, I understand like the the, the reason why it may be unrealistic is because they need to make it kind of entertaining for someone like me who's not not even you know don't have the basic grasp of the the science behind it so it, it makes it a bit fun and enjoyable um, but i can understand once you have the real deal in front of you and you living that life it's like you know it's kind of just 
you almost don't you don't take it as seriously like this is so so bad in a way <laughs> yeah no it's definitely it, it has a, a it's entertainment value that's for sure um and and i think that's what those shows have really they they've done really well in 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 uh using some of these aspects of crime scene investigation forensic science forensic medicine and they have done that some of some shows actually do that really well and i know that they do consult with you know forensic specialists in in trying to you know best put their stories together so there's definitely aspects of it that are, are still entertaining i know my parents absolutely love the crime scene investigation and bone shows so <laughs> when you went over to you studied at the george washington university um and you did your masters there what was the contrast between the reception to this topic versus when you were here obviously there wasn't the specific um uh course here but when you were there what was the kind of reaction and the, the reception to it so um you know in the u.s forensic science is a, a very um uh, well-established subject let's say there's definitely still a lot of advances being made um internationally in in the different components of the field but i think one of the key things that i came to to recognize is how uh, well established it is the program that i was part of um, where i specialized in forensic toxicology uh, has been a very long-standing program um, it's an accredited program in the States, so they have um, national accreditation for their forensic science programs. And, you know, what I came to realize is that there were uh, many, many universities in the, in the States who offered, you know, master's programs in forensic genetics, forensic science. So I think that was the key thing is just seeing how well established it was, uh, particularly in the education realm. And, and I think one of the highlights of, of being in that particular program was that uh, it was very um, oriented not only to the theoretical side but to to actually getting in the field it, it, it was built and designed for the application uh, of forensic science within the field um, not just in research let's say which a lot of academic programs are, are designed so I think that was uh, it was definitely just an eye-opener for me to see how you know, well established it was. And I think the, the key thing that really just also enhanced my passion for forensic toxicology specifically was that the, the program that I was in actually gave me the opportunity to intern um, at the medical examiner's office in Washington, D.C. Um, in their forensic toxicology lab. And so actually I was, uh, when, I, when I went to the US, I, I was originally specializing in death scene investigation. And then I kind of changed my specialization to forensic chemistry, which, which looks more at uh, investigations surrounding um, drug seizures, uh, explosions, anything related to chemistry. Um, and then I started working at this, this lab and that's really where my passion kind of um, really came through. I, I had such an incredible opportunity um, it, to work in that lab and to work in that medical examiner system. Um, and that is really what has given me the uh, exposure and expertise that I could bring back to South Africa um, was really working in that lab. And I did that for about for over a year um, when I was when I was there. And and that's really where my passion kind of came through your internships i mean you did um 
one from Feb 2013 to May 2013. And I mean, can you talk a bit about your work and, you know, working with, is it Dr. Max, is it Hawk or Hawk? Yeah, Dr. Max Hawk. Yeah, if you can just talk about, because it's quite an interesting, um, I mean, I'm just reading, reading it here and it's, you did a lot of research with drug facilitated sexual assault as, as well as forensic science management and, and all that. And if you can just kind of, you know, just a brief overview of, of your time there. Absolutely. So very similar to like we have the Department of Health here, you know, Department of Justice um, in the States. They have uh, in Washington, D.C., where I was based, they have a Department of Forensic Science. Um, so they actually had this. It, it, it was almost like a, a, a luck situation that I fell into the right time, the right place. It was one of those kind of situations. Um, whereby they had just built this brand new facility um, and it was called the Consolidated Forensic Laboratory. And in this facility, they actually had the Department of Forensic Science. Um, I think the Department of Public Health, where they did certain public health virology type investigations and the Medical Examiner's Office. And the Medical Examiner's Office works with obviously death investigation. So forensic pathology, forensic toxicology, um, the Department of Forensic Science was more so focused on uh, DNA analyses, firearm analyses, um, crime scene investigation. And I think I, I happened to meet, I can't exactly remember how, how I met Max, but um, I think I was at an evidence conference. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to do when I was in the States was do as much associated with evidence conferences and forensic science that I could possibly do. Um, because I knew this was such a, a unique and fantastic opportunity. So I met Max and and basically said to him, you know, I, I, can I have an internship? Can I work with you for a period of time? And I managed to get in. He, he, he welcomed me into to the department um, there. And we started working on uh, some of the things that he's very interested in, which is uh, forensic management, uh, particularly. And they do a lot of work now with this project. It's called Foresight where basically forensic labs put their data or give their data to this uh, centralized unit. And what the centralized unit does is it creates almost like a benchmark for forensic labs and the types of different analyses they do in forensics in the States. So it's known as this foresight um, uh, project and uh, Max is, is a key, plays a key role in that. So. I worked with Max and I learned a lot about forensic science management. We published an article together on forensic science management. And I've definitely taken those techniques now where I am in a managerial role, um, you know, based here uh, back in South Africa. And we also looked at some drug facilitated sexual assault work um, as well. And this is another key area that I'm interested in. Um, which looks at the role of drugs in sexual offenses. Um, and so we did some work on that uh, as well. Yeah, I think, and from, from what I'm, I'm getting, you know, looking at your your past and, and all your qualifications, it's almost like you, you built your foundation here, went over there to kind of gain more knowledge, more information, so that you could almost come back and kind of re- invigorate this part of, of science for South Africa. Is that kind of the vision you had going there and coming back? 
Yeah, look, to be honest with you, um, the, the scholarship that I obtained, uh, the Fulbright Scholarship, one of the key things that the Fulbright program is about, it creates this uh, connection and collaboration between the US and South Africa. Um, and the purpose of that, that um, uh, fellowship or scholarship is that the, when you obtain that scholarship, you must come back to your home country for the same period of time uh, that you actually got the scholarship for. And the purpose of that is, is exactly what you say, use the knowledge, the skills, uh, the information that you gathered overseas and, and bring it back and incorporate it back into uh, society. And so that, that was really the goal um, for, for the two year period that I, uh, when I returned to South Africa. Um, subsequently, you know, since then I've been able to create uh, together with my, my colleagues and, you know, my directors, uh, a unit that has built into something much larger than, than I think we originally kind of thought of. So it's, it's become a bigger vision. Um, uh, and like you say, it's building up now forensic toxicology uh, in South Africa and hopefully Africa as well. And you come back and it's the March of 2015, you, you started as a forensic toxicologist with the Western Cape government. How has that been, you know, contrasting from the US to South Africa? Um, when you came in, what was your initial kind of feelings? And, you know, what was your take on the, on, on the way that we, you know, kind of do things and what you thought could, could improve? So um, forensic toxicology, and, and maybe let me just take a step back um, and explain what forensic toxicology actually means. Yeah. Um, forensic toxicology, as I said before, is really just toxicology, the application of toxicology to the law. And what that really means is we, we as forensic toxicologists, have three key uh, functions or roles, uh, whether you're in research or service, whatever it may be. Um, basically, we deal with the analysis of specimens, usually biological specimens, like blood and urine or hair, for example, we analyze those in the laboratory using a number of different instrumental techniques. And the, the second function then is to be able to interpret those results. So what does that result mean in the context um, of, a, of a medical legal case? And that's really where the forensic science, you know, the forensic comes in is, is how does that apply to cases of crime or death or drug facilitated sexual assault, for example. And then the third function is really reporting that out, you know, in, in the form of um, medical legal reports or laboratory reports or testifying in court as well. So that's really what forensic toxicology encapsulates. And there's, there's a large um, area of work that forensic toxicologists go into where the post-mortem toxicology, where we, we look at uh, deceased individuals and whether drugs played a role in their death um, to drug facilitated crimes, let's say, you know, associated with sexual assault or trafficking or kidnapping, anything along those lines, um, to doping analyses, to driving under the influence of alcohol or drugs. The, that's the kind of work that forensic toxicologists really are involved in. Um, so to go back, sorry, to, to the question that you posed then, I think one of the key things that I, I recognized when I came back is that the profession of forensic toxicology is not well established or was not well established in South Africa. 
Um, in fact, I was the I was the first forensic toxicologist um, within the Western Cape government. Um, it, it was a position and a role that we created. We saw the need, and and we created this position so as to build up the functionality uh, within the Department of Health in Western Cape. So so that's one of the key things. Forensic toxicology is well established internationally, um, and and well recognised as a profession. And so I had to come back and had to start really from the ground up, to be honest. And so the lab that we've built and the, the unit that we've you know, built has really been built from the ground up. And I've had to maneuver and find my way around and, and, and really uh, had to figure out how to bring this profession into South Africa and make it something that is uh, well established, recognized and something that is trusted and, and and used or utilized to its full capacity and capability. Um, so I think that that was the key difference. And, and what we've been able to create now, we've built up a number of forensic toxicologist positions. You know, we, we do research in forensic toxicology. We teach now in forensic toxicology. And it's really just about building up this profession within South Africa. Yeah, I think it's it's amazing to see because obviously this is something that almost didn't exist well you know it kind of didn't really exist in you know the strength that it is over in the states so for you to come back and you know kind of see the gap and you know it's employing like your knowledge to to further the country and obviously this is just going to end up helping us even more because then when certain things go down you know certain crimes that get committed you know, this can kind of help us um, figure it out, I suppose, and, and get the answers that we need so that we can prevent it in the future. And I just want to kind of ask you, what was the the difference between coming back, being a forensic toxicologist, and then, you know, doing all of that work and also lecturing, um, you know, how did the, the two tie together? Do you feel like you have a hand in, you know, bringing the youth into this this world um so in terms of yeah so the the position that i hold is is a joint position with with the university of cape town and the department of health in western cape and and it it does uh, create uh, some challenges but yet opportunities um and i actually think it is is it, it it puts us in a very unique position that a lot of other forensic toxicologists or toxicology labs and even other forensic science labs may not always have the opportunity to bridge that gap between service and academia. So it gives us that opportunity to really integrate the two uh, and with the goal in mind of really just translation of research and evidence-based practice which is really the goal of, of what we're trying to achieve. So within, our, within the University of Cape Town, we, we now have uh, developed a number of uh, postgraduate programs um, in both the Masters of Philosophy and Biomedical Forensic Science. And we also have a Masters of Science in Forensic Toxicology. Uh, these are programs that I now convene. Um, so like you say, uh, we can support the youth um, of today and really just strengthen the, the knowledge base surrounding forensic toxicology. Um, so I think we're in a unique opportunity or unique position in that sense, in that we're joint staff. The challenge has always been, how do you prioritize and, and 
you know, work within quite a complex environment where there's a lot of demands coming from you from different areas. And luckily I've had the support of both my divisional head and the director um, within Forensic Pathology Service who, who have really been interested and invested in building up forensic toxicology as well. And I think their support and guidance has been, has been key in, in, in our growth. What would you say has been the, you know, working with uh, UCT, um, what has been the reception from our homegrown, you know, students? Has there been quite a big interest since you've come in and, and seen this um, sector grow? Absolutely. I think there's a lot of interest in forensic science. And I think um, our, you know, MPhil program has been very successful over the past few years. Um, it actually started in 2012, just as I left to the States, um, the program here. And um, our, our, you know, students have been thoroughly interested in, in learning about forensic science. As I said, it's, it is a, a field that people seem to be quite interested in. Um, and so the reception has been very good. And we've had a lot of students from not just South Africa, but other parts of Africa. And I think that's been really key as we've seen, you know, students from Zambia, for example, going back and, you know, implementing not only what they've learned, but also taking it further into doing PhDs there. And so, so it really has been almost, uh, you know, this, this African drive to, to strengthen uh, forensic science, you know, in, in the continent. How has it been for you personally shifting from, you know, being or wanting to be in the field? Am I right in saying that you were kind of focused on being in the field with this in mind and now being in a, a position, a managerial position where you kind of overseeing the growth of the sector? How has that, that, um, that change been? Fantastic question. I think um, I, was, I was thrown into a position where I had to grow very quickly. I had to become a a leader and a manager in a very short space of time. Um, whereas usually you'll speak to, to forensic scientists, um, they go through many, many years of working in the lab, you know, doing the bench work and, and slowly progressing to that, that leadership capacity. Um, I luckily I, I have a passion for, for leadership and for, for learning how to be a better leader. And I've hopefully applied it in, in as best as I can, you know, in, in, developing our units. So I think I, I, there's a lot of the time where I am sitting at my desk and I would love to be in the lab. And I think it's just, it's just uh, I have to manage that as best as possible. Um, and now with, with having a lot of staff to, to support me in that regard, you know, uh, it has opened up certain opportunities for me to do things that I've wanted to do as well. Um, but I did, I did kind of had to make that jump, uh, as you say, uh, into this, this position. And I've tried to just, just do that as best as, I, as possible, you know, with the resources and support that I've had. Um, I think it's awesome to hear that, you know, and I was about to ask you just before you kind of ran over the facts, I was going to say, did you feel like this happened too quickly? Like, you know, the, the whole step up um, and obviously being the first person in Western Cape government with that um, qualification and being given this role, did you almost feel like you, you almost had no control over, you know, you were just like flowing with, with what's been given to you? 
definitely, I think a lot of it has been uh, going with the flow and, and trying to um, trying to best manage the environment that has been been thrown at me. Um, yeah, I think there's there's definitely aspects of um, uh, of or times where I where I would like to go back and just you know uh, do some of the things that I'm not able to do every day at the moment now, but. I think it has allowed me or it's forced me to grow, which uh, I think has just been really key. You know, if you're thrown into an environment um, and you, you have to figure out the situation, um, it does, you know, force you to grow, it forces you to, you to think in different ways and, and try to figure out and problem solve in different ways. So I think it's, it's, it's enhanced my communication with other people. I've, I've developed as a a professional as well as you know in my personal life feel like I've I've developed and grown in that so there you know there are pros and cons to it definitely whichever way you look at it but um, I I'm proud I would like to say I'm proud to see where the lab is now and what we've been able to achieve as a team I really uh, it's something that I that I uh, am proud to to say we've been able to do Bronwyn, so just going back, you know, being a leader in this field, you know, being deputy director, we often hear, you know, about representation, uh, especially in, in the gender space. How was it for you, you know, if you contrast between Washington and here, being a female in this space and then obviously coming back to South Africa and having such a, a strong leadership role in this, how has it been for you and just overall representation of women in science? So I think my journey in science has been one where I've come to recognize an increase in female representation um, at all levels, actually. And this has grown really over the past decade or so. I recognize this both in the United States as well as in South Africa. Um, in the forensic field, I came to see that women are very well represented within the forensic science sphere. And I think personally, I've been privileged in my position within both UCT and the government to be supported by our divisional head and our FPS director, who are both very strong women in their own right. And I think for me, they have really illustrated how important it is to really support women in this industry. And I think in science and medicine in general, um, so they have been two very key role models in, in my growth and development uh, as a forensic scientist. Um, and they, they particularly provided me with this platform to grow and to instigate change. And I think they showed a lot of faith in me, particularly as a young female um, coming into the department. And so for me, I think that you know, going forward, I really hope that in turn, I can too, you know, support an environment in which women in the field really do feel empowered and, and especially feel empowered to hold roles within the management and leadership sphere as well. And going into, you know, talking about what you're doing now currently, if you could maybe touch on, um, you know, the things that you guys are currently busy with. I know there's you guys are busy with the development of a lab. Um, so how's that all coming together? You know, what can we expect, um, you know, from the outside? 
Yeah, so I think um, we we are in the Western Cape uh, in the process of building a new forensic institute uh, in observat observatory. Uh, it's called the Observatory Forensic Pathology Institute. And this is really uh, the first institute of its kind, I would say, in the country, if not in Africa. Um, and what it what it is is it's incorporating the one of our forensic mortuaries in the Western Cape, uh, as well as all the lab or different lab components associated with the medical legal death investigation, into one facility. So it's an we we're really looking at an integrated approach to to unnatural death investigation in this country. Um, so it's it's very similar actually to what I mentioned earlier about the consolidated forensic lab in the in the states, combining you know multiple different functionalities within the, the same facility and and function. Um, so this this is a really exciting project I think for for um, us within the Western Cape, and it's it's been a lot of years coming, but we we're eventually you know getting to the end of the the building process and and hopefully you know moving into that facility soon so so that's a really exciting uh time for us i think in western cape and in forensics um and it, you know at the same time we have already developed a, a smaller lab that's based here at the university of cape town and and as i say we're a unit that is promoting and working on the development of service research and teaching so we have a lot of research projects as well on the go. Um, you know, we're, we're predominantly interested at the moment in looking at, you know, drugs and violent death, um, you know, whether it be in our homicides or suicides or road traffic collisions, um, as well as drug facilitated sexual assault and sexual um, crimes. We're very interested in, in just strengthening our research base in, in those areas. Um, in addition to actually some re some leadership and management research as well that we've tried to sneak in along the way, so so we're really interested in just building up the 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 service uh, forensic toxicology service, particularly in post mortem toxicology, um, which looks at you know drugs and in deceased individuals um, to really support the package of care to the public, you know. Um, and then, as I said, the, the research and teaching components are still very a, a core component of our, um, our lab and our unit. And with the, the current research that you guys are you know, busy with at the moment and you know, from the time that this has been in place and you being the deputy director, have you picked up on, I don't know if you're allowed to speak on this, but kind of any patterns or things that have come to light since, since you've been operating? Yeah, look, um, some of the some of the work that we've done has been published. Um, we, we, we have published some articles where uh, we looked at at uh, drugs and some of our violent death cases. Um, and, you know, the key things is that we just we're seeing a pattern of of drug use that is very similar to to what the, the, the drug abuse pattern is in in Western Cape specifically, which is the use of methamphetamine, um, as well as the use of mandrax and and that's actually uh, Mandrax is methaquilone. That's the name of the uh, the active ingredient of the drug, as well as diphenhydramine. It's these, the mixture of these two drugs. And fascinatingly, actually, um, this is not a drug that is abused internationally. It is a very local drug. It is quite an old school drug. Um, it's known as quaaludes. Um, 
if anyone's seen the wall uh, the wolf of wall street i know that he uses a couple too many quaaludes in that in that particular movie but uh, so it's so it's a common pattern of of these uh, widely abused drugs particularly in our, our violent death cases um you know when we look at some of our other research our drug facilitated crimes research um you know again it was a a pattern that we see also internationally which is you know in, in dfsa cases um the most common drug that's used or detected is alcohol um and it's largely voluntarily uh, taken so it's not people spiking your drinks necessarily um and not to say that that doesn't occur but the most common cases of of drug facilitated sexual assault are are associated with alcohol intoxication um and often with people that the individual knows that the survivor knows so so there's a lot of uh, research that we have done and and some of our students now are looking at alcohol um even in the this covid period um looking at uh, alcohol in in some of our cases with the lockdown you know being lifted and and being the alcohol being banned again so there's there's interesting patterns that we can hopefully see uh, related to that um yeah funny enough uh i just had one of the um uh brand director of one of the the big beer companies on the podcast so it's just interesting to hear you know and i had a, a doctor who works at um at barra and she was kind of talking on this as well so it's like it's interesting because um obviously as lockdown restrictions were easing um you know there were a lot of things that were incorporated along with the, the the sale of alcohol being allowed again and then uh the sale of alcohol i think it was the 13th of july where it was then banned again and it would just be interesting to see if there was that massive dip in you know from violent crime to you know gender based violence as well those kind of things just to kind of get that perspective because that's kind of the narrative that was um being published in the media um is there anything from from your guys' side that can kind of attest to that or do you think that still uh, a lot of research has to be done yeah look i think um we 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 are definitely doing that research and we 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 looking at it within the western cape uh, uh as a whole so so once that's out i think it will be very valuable insight into to how um the the alcohol ban and also just the lockdown in general affected as you say you know violent crimes especially um i think that the limited movement played a role as well and there's there's some challenge in how we can you know classify that in addition to alcohol uh in you know as different variables um to to investigate this uh, i think we certainly saw a reduction in 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 violent you know case in violent death cases but uh i i can't tell you yet as to whether that was related to to alcohol or anything along those lines i think that was largely due to a, a limited movement uh, at least in the initial stages of the lockdown you know there were less people driving on the roads um so there were less car crashes it's you know yeah it's that kind of kind of thing with you know covid coming in and and putting a stop to most things how has this affected you guys the stuff you guys are busy with now has it put a a huge fork in the road for you guys or have you guys kind of managed to to adjust and and carry on so i think we you know we've managed to adjust definitely um i think it's 
you know, within forensic pathology service, which is which is an essential service, uh, that, you know, we've had to carry on um, throughout the entire lockdown period in South Africa. Um, and I think it's, you know, uh, the the doctors are probably more uh, and those working in the mortuaries are, are uh, more, you know, within that environment where possible, you know, exposures can occur. Um, but luckily in our in our cases, you know, uh, COVID deaths are not not they are natural in nature. So um, they're not associated with medical legal um, issues. So, uh, you know, in terms of our but in terms of the laboratory practice, it's it's largely just been a lot of uh, writing up standard operating procedures and having hand sanitizers and controlling our movements and and just trying to uh, ensure the safety of the staff. And with your passion for forensic science, would you ever consider moving away from the forensic aspect and maybe look into other forms of toxicology in different um, sectors? Is that something you ever thought about? So I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in, in medical toxicology and, and you know, um, I guess I, I, I collaborate and work a lot with uh, the poison centers, uh, especially one here in, in Cape Town at, at the Red Cross Children's Hospital. Um, so I, I am interested in, in kind of poisoning and the management of patients in terms of poisoning. There are a lot of uh, queries that I get where people are poisoned with random things that um, you know they need some assistance with. So I, I'm interested in medical toxicology in general as well, and and um, and hopefully uh, uh, the University of Stellenbosch has just opened up a, a PG uh, postgrad diploma in medical toxicology. So I hope to expand and at least increase my knowledge in that in those aspects as well. Uh, but in terms of leaving the forensic field, I'm I, I think uh, I'd rather apply those aspects to my field and and um, I think yeah, there's there's just something about forensic talks that that kind of ignites my passion and and interest, you know. And with you pursuing and kind of um, trying to learn more, how is it? How are you? You know, for for students out there and for people who are you know academics, how are you kind of managing? You know, looking to manage this because it's it's a lot to to work on. You know, to have a job, work, study. All of that so how are you kind of handling that whole situation and what advice can you give to people that are kind of you know gonna head into that um how do i say i'm not managing it <laughs> no uh so so i think that's a fantastic question i think it's one of the biggest challenges is how do you manage especially if you're a full-time worker you know trying to study there, there are you know some courses that are often offered part-time which makes it a bit easier when you're trying to get that all done you know I think the way that I've approached it is that I've tried to uh, find ways of learning that are very integrated in my in my functional job so even for example um, you know in working towards a PhD it's trying to find a, uh, a project that really incorporates some of the aspects that you do on a daily basis and that's that's probably the best way is to to find that integration. I think if that's completely separated, um, what I do, what I would say is that it, it, it's really important to have good time management, um, to have motivation, and to have that desire. I think that's key, and then to really commit to it, you have to have dedication. Um, and even if it's sitting down for an hour a day, at the end of the day when you're tired. Um, 
if you if you really want something and you you want to achieve you know that 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 goal it's it's just fitting in that time you know um and it builds up so it's really about starting now doing it in small bits and and at the end you know that will build up into to hopefully reaching that goal and i mean you guys are busy with some amazing work is there something else that you guys or do you want to talk about some of the stuff that you guys are busy with specifically some of the um options that you guys have from the the programs that you guys are running with uct and the forensic science um, unit yes i mean we have uh not only programs in forensic toxicology but we you know for those that are interested in other areas of science um we offer masters uh, research specific programs in forensic um, entomology, which is looking at bugs and and maggots and flies and things like that. Um, forensic genetics, so you know DNA analysis, and and uh, we have very good uh, genetics unit here that's been set up. Um, and then we have a, an MPhil program, so someone who's g- interested in a lot of the different components. Um, we, we have this MPhil in biomedical forensic science where you can learn about toxicology and genetics and crime scene investigation. And then you apply that, you know, in a, in a bigger project um, for, for, uh, over, for the second year of, of your studies. And then we, we're hoping to also introduce an honors um, course within the next uh few years at least um, and that will hopefully also then provide a kind of an honors level education in, in forensic science and biomedical forensic science as well and i think if if you know if, if people are interested we do get a lot of inquiries of you know even students at school who are interested in forensic science and how do they get into it and and my best advice would be that um, if you're interested in in in, in the science aspect of things Get a, get a degree or an undergrad that focuses on the core sciences. So chemistry, biology, that kind of uh, undergraduate degree is really good to get those concepts um, and understanding of those core sciences down. Um, there are, however, programs uh, in, in undergraduate forensic sciences at the University of Free State. And I know that WITS also has, um, and Pretoria as well, has postgraduate uh, honors and, and master's programs as well. So I think we really are building up forensic science education in, in South Africa, t- and which is exciting to see. And looking back, you know, when you made the decision to go to the States, you know, and back then, would you have ever envisioned yourself being where you are right now? And you know, how different is it to what you kind of envisioned in your head? Sure. Um, I, I, I don't think I would have envisioned where we are now with, with, with the lab, with my team. Um, I think we have grown and, and made huge strides in, in this country. Um, I think what one of the key things is that I've connected and I've, I've ensured to keep those networks that I have overseas. And I've had such great support from my colleagues, um, both in DC and all over the world who have really just provided me with, you know, the guidance when I need it um, and when our team needs it. And they're so keen to kind of support us and build up this this uh, subject in South Africa. So I think that's been so essential and something that uh, I've really, I still love and, and cherish that I can have those um, connections. 
And if we can just go back a little, when you were working in the field in Washington, um, what was you know some of the stuff you came across? Were there any interesting cases or um, you know situations that you came across that you can share with us? So I think um, one of the interesting things that started coming out in the states when I was there, and I actually ended up doing my master's research on uh, in the lab that I was working in is uh, synthetic novel designer drugs. Um, so these are new new designer drugs, they're called, or NPS drugs. Um, and basically they're these synthetic, um, uh, how do we say, synthetic types of drugs that are based on natural drugs. So for example, uh, there are the synthetic cannabinoids. And these are drugs that are synthesized or made in labs to mimic the effects of THC in cannabis or THC being the primary psychoactive ingredient in cannabis. So synthetic cannabinoids, there are now hundreds of these different cannabinoids out there um, that were actually originally designed many years prior to that um, as research chemicals. And what happened is these clandestine drug chemists started realizing that they could synthesize or make chemicals that would get to the body, the areas of the body to produce very similar effects like, like cannabis. And what they would do is they would sell these products in um, these kind of brightly labeled packets with Scooby-Doo photos and various other things um, labeled and label them not for human consumption. And it was a way to basically get around the legislation so they could sell these legally. So this was a, an up and coming thing uh, when I was in the, the States there and I did my research on synthetic cannabinoids actually. Um, and I looked at uh, synthetic cannabinoids in uh, about 500 uh, driving under the influence cases. Um, so that was a really interesting thing to be a part of because now this is one of actually the biggest challenges for forensic toxicologists internationally are these NPS designer drugs. There's now hundreds and hundreds. If we think of cocaine and methamphetamine and heroin being one, you know, three drugs, there's hundreds of these drugs that are now out there. And it becomes very difficult in the lab to actually detect and identify these and, and on our, on, even on our very high-tech instrumentation. So this has been a way for, uh, you know, drug, the, the clandestine drug, uh, chemists to get around legislation and the problem with these drugs is that they're actually far more toxic than the original drugs that they designed off of so cannabis for example you know there's very few people who die just from smoking cannabis alone um, but these synthetic cannabinoids has, have caused many many deaths and this has led to the the making of synthetic cathinones also known as bath salts um, which there was a, a period in South Africa where I think it went around, you know, that uh, Flaka, F-L-A-K-K-A, uh, where Flaka was around, and, and that's actually an alpha PVP. It's a synthetic cathinone, um, and they call these zombie drugs that make people walk around like zombies. Uh, I don't think it was ever, like, analytically shown that that drug was was present in South Africa. But those synthetic cathinones are, are massive overseas and have caused a lot of deaths and, and other, you know, 
car crashes and things like that. Um, and I think the biggest thing now at the moment in the States is the opioid crisis, which is, yeah. is, is really this crisis that's associated with synthetic opioids. Um, so, you know, morphine, if you think about morphine, you can get morphine from the opium puppy. It's actually in the milk of the opium puppy and heroin is made from morphine. And basically these, these opioids, what happened was, you know, a few decades ago, uh, a lot of the, um, a lot of these doctors would start prescribing very strong painkillers, such as in the form of oxycodone. Um, and they'd prescribe them very easily. And so what, pe what happened is people actually started getting very addicted to these drugs. And they started realizing that these drugs have very high addiction potential. So they, they stopped or they controlled, you know, the prescription industry uh, very tightly. And so what people did is they had to go to the streets to buy their oxycodone. And oxycodone per pill would cost $20 a pill or something like that. So people then started buying heroin instead because it is also an opioid, it produces the same effects. So people started using heroin. And then what happened is over time, you know, within the last decade or so, uh, heroin started to be cut with fentanyl. Um, and fentanyl is a far, far more potent opioid. And so what happened is, and there's been a lot of famous people's death, um, deaths, um, Philip Seymour Hoffman, I think, Prince died of a fentanyl overdose. Um, so th there's been a number of very high profile deaths from, from opioids. And so what happened is this fentanyl is very potent opioid is now being prominently used in the States and it's, it's causing the, what they've now deemed the opioid crisis because it's actually drug related deaths are now the leading cause of death in the U S you know, um, so. That this was a very uh, long-winded and and diverted diverted story from your original question, but I think the the NPS drugs have been a, a very fascinating thing to to see how that's played out internationally, and I don't think that they have um, reached South Africa yet to the same extent. Yeah, it's actually um, quite funny. I just watched. Um obviously with lockdown, I have lots of time on my hands. So I've watched uh, a documentary on Netflix where I think this, the host of it, she was a former CIA agent or FBI. So either one. And she went through like the, the very prominent drugs that obviously you might've come across when you were over there. And she kind of, you know, went in deep, you know, chatted to the, the makers of the drugs, the dealers and the users. And what I found interesting was was exactly that, that um, because of high doses of this painkiller, which was, you know, the, the main thing it was prescribed as, and the price of that going up and then people having to then go on the streets and buy this and they get addicted. And it's just, it's a common occurrence because it, the initial um, purpose of that drug was to, you know, relieve, relieve pain. So I think there's there's a lot of research on that coming out and also a lot of um, docu-series for some reason, like it's it's quite a lot in, in drug. I don't know, have you watched any of these uh, docu-series docu or documentaries on, on drugs? Um, yes, I think Netflix has had some good ones actually of late. 
and uh, I would have to actually pull up. There's oh, it was called The Pharmacists. I highly recommend uh, okay. watching The Pharmacist. It's exactly it's about exactly what we've just discussed. Um, interestingly, uh, it was about a pharmacist, and without giving too much away, but his his uh, son uh, was murdered, and he subsequently. Uh, started trying to investigate in, in investigating that murder he started seeing all these young people come to his pharmacy to fill out to get these prescription of very potent opioids uh, like oxycodone and so he started noticing this and he actually then went um, and started investigating a bit more and it's fascinating because he takes his own home recorder and he sits and you see him kind of sitting out there in the in the evening you know videotaping this this happening but um he would actually go to this one doctor's office who he started noticing would was the one who was giving all these prescriptions and it's basically the story of of how he he found this doctor who was actually uh it's called sorry it's, it's lost me at the moment but uh basically just just um was people were paying her to get scripts for for these drugs and the lines outside her office at you know in the late hours of the night he kind of had all of this on camera fascinating documentary definitely recommend that yeah about this opioid crisis and you know watching this as a a, a forensic uh, toxicologist does that you know give you any information does that help you does that kind of you know provide any value or is it kind of just good to watch I think there's definitely, uh, as as I think you mentioned, you know, circling back to our original discussion, there's there's always entertainment value, and they have to, you know, within both documentaries or or shows like CSI, there has to be that entertainment value aspect to it. But I I must be honest, I do love watching drug related documentaries, and I think there there are a lot that that provide some very valuable insights into um, what is happening internationally. Um, and and also just people's stories, which I which I you know um, connect with in a way. I think there's there's a human aspect to it um, that's I think very important, and and that's that's really why we do you know what we do is 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 to support the community, to support the public. Um, so there's there's often those human stories that I think just uh, make you quite connected as well. Um, but there's been some really, really good documentaries on Netflix. Um, uh, the, uh, another one was about a, a drug scandal that actually happened again while I was in the States, um, where in Massachusetts, the analyst was actually doing what's known as dry labbing, which is uh, receiving, you know, these drugs and let's say it's a white powder, uh, just signing it out as cocaine instead of actually doing the testing. Um, fascinating. So there's been a lot, and, and you get some insight into into some of these uh, these kind of high, more high profile type um, cases. And with South Africa, I mean, we as a country, I mean, like you say, alcohol is quite a, a strong uh, or common drug because it's legal; you can buy it. Um, what are your thoughts on? And this is kind of stepping away from your field of expertise, but you know the legalizing of of um cannabis and also i've seen a lot of um cbd is it cbd oil so what's your 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 thoughts on that have you had any kind of testing done or you know kind of research done on 
how effective and harmful that may be to the human body? I'm, I'm very interested actually right now that you've mentioned this in, in doing more work and, and research into cannabis um, in, in our various populations that we, we particularly look at, uh, and especially uh, cannabis and driving and, and how it's actually involved and whether, whether it's actually involved in, in our uh, driving death cases as well as injury cases. Um, because it, while people think that it, it, it may be a harmless drug, there's, there's clear research that shows that it can um, increase the chance of causing an accident. Uh, if, a, if a person is under the influence of THC, um, there, there is a higher risk of having a, a let's say, a driving collision. Um, so there are definitely harms, and I don't think people are as aware of, of those harms uh, as they are with alcohol, for example. Um, and interestingly enough, the use of alcohol and cannabis together can increase your risk of having a crash even more than having those drugs sep using those drugs separately. So I think there's there's a lot of work that we can do and we can get into in this in this field. Um, I think definitely that cannabis has health benefits and it, it can be useful. We have to look at these drugs in a different way. You know, we 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 look at them as just being illegal and the war against drugs. Um, but we need to look at, at, you know, even addiction and drug use in a different way uh, as a medical disease and a, something that needs where individuals need assistance and support rather than uh, segregation and, you know, um, leaving to the side. In terms of CBD, you know, there's a lot of CBD products at the moment and it's becoming this quite big thing in South Africa. Um, I think I look to be honest. I would need to do to read some more up about the, the 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 benefits or lack thereof of CBD. I think that it's clear that it possibly does have some health benefits, um, and that's why a lot of people do use it. So CBD is actually um, cannabidiol, and it's one of the cannabinoids or molecules that are found in the cannabis plant, and it's actually non-intoxicating, so it doesn't. Uh, produce psychoactive uh, effects such as delta 9 THC's effects and I think in the past few decades there's actually been quite a lot of pharmacological research on CBD um, and looking at its role in kind of you know therapies and medicine and the I think the thing to to think about here especially when we look at South Africa where the use of CBD is becoming very popularized um, and widespread it's important to note that you know cbd use is not risk-free there they are adverse uh, and side effects to cbd use and i think the research is slowly growing um, to be able to you know look at this in a bit more detail but just for example in in some of the animal studies that have been done you know cbd Adverse effects can include things like developmental toxicity, um, embryo mortality, uh, neurotoxicity or central nervous system inhibition, um, and even male reproductive system alterations, for example. Uh, but a lot of those studies, you know, we have to take into account often use doses that are higher um, than those that would be typically seen in, in normal human pharmacotherapies. And, you know, I think CBD does have some proven therapeutic efficacy. It does, you know, it is effective for use in, in 
various very serious conditions uh, of, of certain seizure disorders, for example. Um, but it is important that, you know, especially the public, when using CBD products, become more familiar and, and educate themselves in terms of some of the adverse effects or drug-drug interactions even um, that, that should be considered when taking kind of off-label uh, or over-the-counter CBD products. Yeah, it's a interesting uh, development because, I mean, you see it on Facebook, you know, people in your circle or, you know, people in their circle and you kind of get the, you know, do you want to buy this? It does this for you, a couple drops or whatever. Um, to me, it kind of feels like, you know, and, and this is probably why regulations will start being put in place for the sale of this product. It's almost like um, there is a benefit to it or there may be a benefit and there's obviously research out there. And once, you know, it fulfills a purpose that another medicine provides that obviously, you know, raises question in, in the pharma industry. Um, so, yeah, it's it's kind of like the opioid kind of thing. You know, you it's you know, it has a certain purpose, but then it gets used for something else. And then it turns into a whole spiral um, where, you, you know, the people have no control because of this escalation at, at that rate. And did you guys ever kind of do any research based on, you know, addiction uh, to kind of the, the substance addiction and then violence kind of relation? And if you can speak on that, I know you, we're probably running out of time, but if you can just touch on that. Yeah, sure. Um, we don't specifically focus on addiction, I think, but, but I do touch on it in, you know, my teaching and I think it is a very important subject. Um, we, we, uh, you know, we, we do collaborate and we learn from the likes of, um, Sekendu, which is the, the South African, um, oh, Sekendu, I can't remember what it stands for now. I'm going to have to look that up. Um, but they, they do a lot of work in treatment centers. Um, and, uh, so they, they on a biannual basis produce data and we, there's a, 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 we go to this biannual meeting with them. They're part of the MRC. Um, the Medical Research Council, um, and they produce a lot of data associated with people going to treatment centers um, for, for drug abuse and, and support in, in that regard. Um, so, so we don't personally or, or within our unit do addiction-related studies, but obviously I think it's something that is, is inherent within our, you know, the field that we work in, and it's important to have an understanding of it. Um, and I do think, you know, it's, it's just fascinating to see this kind of dichotomy between legislation and the control of drugs versus uh, this medical challenge that we face within our communities of people being addicted. And how do we actually help them? We can't just ostracize them. That's not going to work. You know, there has to be a better way in which we can support um, addiction and, and being tr and treatment, basically. Um, and it's interesting, you know, we've had this discussion, there's, there's countries such as Portugal, for example, who, who have decriminalized drug use, you know, which would personal drug use So very similar, like cannabis, um, in our country, you know, if you, if you caught with a small amount of cocaine, you don't get thrown into jail and all those things, you know, happen. 
there's there's a certain amount of of um you know decriminalization of of drug abuse because the nature of drug abuse is that it it is part of every community um internationally and so it's like how do we how do we bring you bring that line between legislation and just uh, control of and trying to control this this drug industry that we're never going to be able to control um and a lot of what happens then is that it's it's the underground world that then runs the drug industry and and what that means is that you have dirty drugs drugs that are not made very well um and you have a lot of addicted people who are not being appropriately assisted by by the health community yeah and and talk about you know legal well you know the term decriminalizing and legalizing it's funny because in america now with you know most states going through this pro the the process of um legalizing or decriminalizing but it's almost like it's more um legalizing because the argument now comes in what happens to the people who were put in jail for this you know now this is a legal substance so you know is that still a valid um sentence and then it's it's a, like a continuous back and forth and i think it it obviously comes down there's a lot of politics involved so it's very interesting to watch from the outside kind of thanks for your time i know we we've gone over the the schedule here but to close off i i i was reading i think on the on your guys's website and it's interesting that you guys kind of phrase you know what the work you guys do is you know community it's kind of community work right like the the bigger picture here is that the community benefits in in a way where we can you know battle certain you know patterns that we can now understand and so forth so going into this you know if there's students who are curious about this topic what can you say to them to kind of just you know give them a bit of of background to what they can possibly do with you guys um i think i i echo what you have said uh especially if you're working in the public sphere and the government sphere um you know we we speak about our customers but but really the public is is who we serve and and one of my my goals you know i i work and i come here to work so that we can produce a service that will support our community and that will build up our community and and answer the questions where people have you need need answers and i think a lot of the research that we do as well i i try to uh, or we try to look at ways in which we can implement it in public health um and just just going back quickly to policy is is you know using the data and using the research that we do to try and influence policy and i think one of the key things that hopefully legislators can start to do is is really incorporate scientists into the discussion and make sure that especially if 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 we're dealing with like like drugs uh, such as cannabis bring in forensic toxicologists bring in forensic scientists and let's have that conversation um in terms of young students who who or or young people who who are interested in in you know getting into this field and learning more um you know I'm always available to to chat if people are interested or 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 want to learn more about forensics and we we do get a lot of communications from people interested in getting into the forensic science field. I'll say that it is a a field that is expanding. You can work in the field now a lot more whether it be in the South African police service, in forensic pathology service, or if you want to go into research and academia in forensic sciences and and do a lot of work in that regard. 
um, there there are people to to that are available um, to talk to and, and chat to, even if it's just myself popping me a, an email or something like that to learn a bit more about what we do. But I think another thing, as you say, is touching on community is is I would like for us to 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 work more to um, you know support the community in in additional ways, whether it be you know talking about the use of drugs and and providing information and because you know we we speak about the legislation of drugs, but people are probably going to use certain drugs anyway. Uh, they want to try new things, and I think the key thing to think about there, whether it's young individuals or even parents is is providing the information and making sure that they understand what they're doing. Uh, what are the what are the harms that could possibly come about by by using these certain drugs and how can it affect others as well? Um, and so I think, you know, our communication to the public and providing that feedback and and information systems to the public and you know, I think is a key important thing that, that we really want to focus on in, in the next coming years as well. Yeah, I think it's important to highlight that even if something is illegal, there there will be a certain, you know, population that will continue doing it. I mean, if you look at the alcohol and the tobacco ban, uh, people are still getting their drink and still getting the cigarettes. So, um, and it comes down to, again, educating, like you said, I think that should be one of our priorities instead of um, you know, isolating those people and making it as if like they're the worst people ever is to kind of look at it from a different perspective that, you know, they need the information or this could have been prevented by giving them information. So I think that that's kind of the key way to look at it. Yeah, absolutely. How do we, how do we educate all of us? How do we all just be, be better? Um, uh, how do we better understand, you know, these topics of drug abuse, drug use, addiction, um, and how can we work together as a community, both within, you know, the public and private spheres to to support our communities? And with that, Bronwyn, I'd like to thank you for, you know, sharing all this information with us. Um, I really enjoyed it. And I think, you know, this kind of ties into, you know, the, the CSI effect and, you know, just to get the real kind of information is, is really important to separate the, you know, the entertainment and reality. So thank you so much for, for making time. And uh, the work you guys are doing is really great. And obviously, we just hope this grows and grows. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Shanna. I really do appreciate it. And I, I enjoyed our, our chats and our conversation. Um, and I, I really hope that your listeners uh, take away something from this that uh, you know, that they can learn and, and um, that they can know that there are people out there who, if you want to communicate about these forensic science or other issues, you know, there are people in South Africa who, who can do that and can support, support, support us. So, um, yeah, I really thank you for the time and, and, and the efforts in, in chatting with me.